Let's pray. God, at the start of this term, we want to hear your voice speaking our name. We need your power in our life to live that we want to. You know our heart's desire. We ask that we would hear what it is you're saying to us. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Now, I want to show you in just a second um, a classic film clip. It only lasts for, for less than a minute. The Matrix is an artificial intelligence of the future, sustaining a virtual reality illusion that humankind is living in 1999 and all is well. In fact, humans are only used to service the Matrix. One resistant leader, resisting this idea, Morpheus, makes contact with a character called Neo, who is still within the world dominated by the Matrix. Neo has often doubted that things are the way that they seem. Here we're about to see the first encounter between Neo and Morpheus, their first meeting. And pretty quickly in this, Neo is presented with a choice. I hope that we can see, or at least we'll hear the video. Very short clip, but Neo is presented with a choice to remain inside this illusion that masquerades as reality, or to take this pill and forever be changed, seeing things differently. Wake up, get real, is the invitation. And he does, he chooses the red pill, which is the get real pill. Wake up and see what's around you. Maybe this is a time of year for us as Christians to ask the question about getting real, about us coming afresh to things, coming back to things. Today is a Sunday as we hear this passage from the Gospel. It's a question of following, of commitment to Jesus Christ. It's a very bold passage, very bold statement from Jesus. And so the question at this point in the year is, are we willing to commit ourselves to Jesus Christ, of engaging with the world in its reality, in its brokenness and its self-deception. In our passage in Luke, Jesus is speaking to a large crowd and he says to them, you follow me and yet you're not aware of what following me involves. You'd have thought when he had such a large crowd as that, he'd have been much more tempted to sort of say, come and sign a newcomer's slip, or come and be a member of our band and we'll change the world. Or else, come, it's easy being a disciple. Love your wife, love your kids, show up to work on time, be nice to your neighbours next door, go to the synagogue, it's easy to be my disciple. Instead of come, Jesus says, count the cost. We went to Southern Ireland on, on honeymoon and um, uh, I must have, uh, I kept it a secret from Emma. She didn't know where we were going until we got to Glasgow Airport and we took a wee plane over to somewhere in Southern Ireland. Um, and we came to this, um, this, this castle hotel by the side of a loch and it was all that I'd hoped it would be from the brochure and it was, it was going swimmingly. Um, long drive that we walked up um, and uh, I didn't have, didn't have an ensuite, but it was just the fact that we're there was, was enough for, for me and Emma just, just to be there. 
and uh, it was it was wonderful. Until the next morning, I noticed downstairs by the lobby there was a sign telling what the charges were. And what I had thought was for the room was per person. We were both students, and this was cutting it fine to get to pay for what I said I'd going to pay for for the 10 days in this castle hotel outside Killarney. And so when I saw that figure, I knew there was, there was little chance of me realizing to pay all of that as I'd hoped at the moment. My goodness, the kind of horror, the, just the searing kind of realization of when I'm looking at this figure suddenly, like the cartoon, they suddenly jump in front of your eyes, you know, 990, but oh, <gasps> the embarrassment of it. Oh my goodness me. See me later for more details on that story. <laughs> But this is the embarrassment of the builder that Jesus refers to in our story, who started something great but doesn't finish it. In New Testament times, the idea of shame and public respect and all that culture is hugely important. So again, in these verses, Jesus looks at the crowd and literally he does his best to put them off following him. He says, no, don't follow me. Basically, and he does very well, I think. You look at the words he uses. Can you use better words to tell people don't to follow you? My goodness me. Hate your father and mother. Give up your possessions. Loathe your own life. That's what it costs to follow me. Now, who's up for following me? Good way of, put, good way of putting people off. But Jesus was never interested in crowds, but in disciples. He didn't want spectators but followers. In the end, with that massive crowd, he only chooses 12 people. Unless you don't, if you don't hate your father and mother, wife, children, brother and sisters, even life itself, you cannot be my followers. Those of you who do not give up everything cannot be disciples. Whoever does not carry their cross cannot follow me. Reading Luke this summer, I think I was saying to George, some of these words are so easy to listen to. Some of these parables are so familiar to us. Some of the words of Jesus seem naive and yet extremely difficult to take. At what level do we take these words? I think sometimes Christianity can be seen as naive and sometimes that that, that can maybe put us off in our professionalized world. We had a conversation last time with the Good Childhood um, Children's Society, and we're talking about loving people. God, that seems so naive in a world of child protection, a world of legislation, of equal opportunities, everything that we have in our world, rightly so. But what does it mean to love somebody? Can we love? And Jesus' words here, do we take them literally? You know, there are people in our day and age that still take, that, that take these words literally. There are those who take up orders to poverty, chastity, and obedience. I would suggest that the more radical our discipleship, the more radical and literal our interpretation of this challenge of Jesus is to us. Because these words were offensive. That first word about family, let's take that one. Hate your father and mother. I mean, if we struggle with it, Socially, again, at Jesus' time, it was offensive to say that. The respect that a son had to give his father was hugely important. The father passed on his wisdom, his wealth, his inheritance 
to keep the good name of the family. And here Jesus goes and says, hate your father and your mother. Hard, hard words. What do you make of them? How do we make sense of them in our lives as Christians? What is Jesus saying? He is talking about commitment to him. Over against all other things. All other good things. But just all other things. We can have a wonderful, loving family. We can enjoy it. And maybe some of us, all of us, can be tempted to turn in on that and cling to our family. Where I, whereby we come to love our family more than God. And it can happen so easily. It happens all the time. When there's a tragedy happens in a family, when a mother or a father or brother or sister might die prematurely, I blame God and get angry at God for taking this loved one too soon. It can happen quietly. It happens slowly, even if you don't see it happening, where you begin to love your family and close friends more than God and blame God at their loss. And yet, maybe as time goes on, we learn another lesson in life. We learn that eventually and sometime we are going to have to let go of every hand that we hold. The hand of a mother, of a father, of a child, of a sister, of a spouse, of a grandchild. Inevitably, we will let go of every hand that we held during our life. And in death, we discover there is one hand still there holding us. So maybe there is some wisdom in what Jesus lays down here as a challenge and a relationship with family and faith. Not easy. Not easy. Jesus says, give up everything you own and then you come and follow me. I don't want to go into much of this, but just again in our consumer society, how easy it is for us to put stuff first and faith second. Stuff first and people second. How easy we, we find it as an expression of our love to buy things for people. Jesus said, happiness is found in being in the right relationship with God. That's what Christians believe. Carrying your cross, Jesus says, if you're a disciple, you've got to carry a cross. We, it's amazing, think of that phrase and we think of Jesus going to Calvary. When Jesus' hearers heard it, they thought of those accused as criminals by the Romans and the shame of carrying their cross through all the streets and the jeering and the pain and the loneliness and the death. Whatever else that you take out of this passage and the challenge of being a disciple, Jesus' words to us. There are scholars that have looked at this and wrestled with it and say this, Jesus' call to take up your cross was understood to imply a decisive and public commitment to Jesus in face of opposition and persecution. We should be ready to be expelled from society and even put to death for our allegiance to him. Tension with our friends and relations should not make us waver. We should profess our stand regardless of the consequences and not be ashamed of belonging to Christ. This is the basic requirement implied in the self-denial and carrying the cross of the disciple. This is what Jesus meant.
Lord, have mercy upon us. Those of us that call ourselves Christians, look to follow Christ in our lives. Taking the passage, what is this? How can we work with this as a church? What could God be saying to us at this point of the year, here in September 2010? As church, as individuals. As church, we had a historic year last year. This new building, what a privilege to be involved in such a project. The joy, the relief, the pride, the thanksgiving, all to the glory of God. We thank God for the new ways we can use this building in in so many ways. However, if we listen to the message of Jesus in this passage, we must recognize the danger of not moving on with Jesus. There are dangers as we get larger as a church. Do we pride ourselves in our building, in our cafe, in our music group, in our youth work? Do we persuade people to come along and be part of something growing, something successful, something... Maybe some of us here are come for that reason. Listen to Jesus' words. Not come, but count the cost. And so information about our congregation is presented in a way to persuade people to join. All the while, what are we saying about the cost, which is everything in our lives? Jesus didn't look for great crowds. He looked for committed followers. Heavy stuff. Practically, maybe two ways that we can look at this. Two ways of looking. This year, my my hope as a church is that we get to grips with what it means to be world Christians, that we look outwards and get real, see the reality of the brokenness and the deception of our world around us. And secondly, we look in and we see the state of our spiritual lives and we get real and get to grips with that. Let me speak to you about about the first one, about looking outward, being world Christians. And recognizing that our understanding of reality, let's not confine it to Camborne, let alone Camborne Church, but let's look at the world in its complexity, its beauty, and its brokenness. When we join the church, I often say to people, we're thrilled of being a multi-denominational church, is that you're becoming part of the worldwide church, part of a worldwide grassroots liberation movement. What might that mean? See, you know, notices this morning, there's an opportunity to go with the Amos Trust to Palestine and to rebuild a house in Palestine that's been knocked down. Maybe as a church, that interests you. I tell you what, if you're interested, speak to me and we'll try and get a group going. If you're interested, I'll also go. And we as a church will take on more seriously what it means to be world Christians. In a situation in Israel-Palestine that needs peacemakers, that needs Christians to say enough is enough. Take the red pill. Get real. Be world Christians. Or maybe we look outwardly, as we look outwardly, let's engage with those people that come to our cafe and not just think about coming to church as something for us, but be changed by those folks that come into this public building. One of the things we want Julie to engage more with more and more is with folks that see us as a place of solace, a place that they can turn to, but that we ourselves 
are not smug about that, are not patrons, are not hosts all the time, but that we learn and are converted in the engagement with a variety of people that God brings us. And praise God for the different people that God is bringing to this space. Let's look outwards. Let's look outwards as we think about the 26th of September, that flower you've got in your notices. Who can you invite to church? When was the last time you said to somebody, what about coming? You might enjoy some of the songs. You might find it a space just to be quiet. There might be a word for you there. You might have a sense of belonging. Who might you invite on the 26th of this month? There's a space for you to fill that in on the form and to pray for the person. Faith is not about an emotional attachment to Jesus that safeguards your future. If that's all that faith is, what are we doing here? Jesus' faith was a wandering faith. It was a giving away faith. It was a faith that took risks. It's not about buildings. It's not about being successful. It's about following Christ where he leads us. Being prepared this year to take risks. When we also, the other thing I've been thinking about is when we people join the church, we become members. Maybe we should be using the word missionaries more than members. Members got a slight insular look about it. Let's look outwards this year and be world Christians. So if we need to get real and look outwards, so too we need to get real with God and look inwards. We can put on activities as a church. We do lots of interesting and good things. And yet, the state of our heart, what's it like? Someone was to ask you, what's your prayer life like just now? I know there's a church that do that, and I'm not going to do it. But what would you feel like? What would you say? Come on, if we're out in the world, we're not just activists. We're Christians. And so, the second challenge in terms of committing ourselves is to prayer and study. Look at the notices on, on Wednesday evenings. It's a funny time. It's half past eight in the evening. But it's to finish the day well, perhaps. A snatch of time just to sit and to pray to God, to get to grips with God and with faith and with me. Can you commit yourself to doing that regularly? Or maybe to John's Gospel. John's a fabulous Gospel to read because you read it at so many different levels. It speaks words of an attractive Christ. You said, I am the living water, I am the light of the world. He says all that in John's Gospel. And yet when you start to see the levels of meaning that that has... It's fantastic. So come to that course about John's Gospel, whatever level or wherever you are at. Or maybe there's things that around you want discussed. Increasingly in our media, there's issues to do with euthanasia. Issues of poverty. What about a chance to chat about them with, with our Christians? What about thinking about coming to that course on a Monday evening? Today's passage are hard words very hard words that Jesus turns and looks at a crowd and says, don't come, count the cost. Get real. Look outward, look inward. Remember, I don't want followers, I don't want spectators, I want disciples. Discipleship of Jesus Christ is costly. Family, possessions, even life itself. And so finish with words I, I used again recently. 
Words from the poet Marie-Louise Haskins. I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be better than light and safer than a known way. So I went forth, finding the hand of God, and trod gladly into the night. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you love us. You know where we're at in our faith, in our family, in our lifestyles, in your mercy. Receive us and use us to be your people. In Jesus' name, amen.